0: Welcome friends to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm the host, Dick Dalton. Uh, This is our new time slot at 5 p.m. on Wednesday afternoons. Uh, This is a one-hour interview show, uh, generally just having one guest at a time. And uh, I call the guests social artists or people who are building a more humane world from the inside out. Uh, This show started back in 2017 in the fall, and we've had uh, 150 different guests over the years. These are all recorded in podcast. Uh, I haven't updated some of the first uh, recordings, but uh, many of them can be found uh, on my Facebook page, Glocal News in Social Artistry. And uh, as always, the last uh, 25 shows can be found here on KOPN.org. Uh, if you go to the menu and look under Programs and then find Local News and Social Artistry, you'll see my page come up. Uh, and there you will also see the last 25 shows that have been uh, played on the air. Uh, So I just wanted to welcome you sort of specially for this uh, first show at this new time. And we have some traditional opening and closing music, introduce the guest, very few breaks during the show, and hopefully you will find it uh, very interesting. We try to highlight the person uh, that's being interviewed and uh, their projects, uh, their passions, their uh, journey through life. So uh, here goes uh, a repeat from last week because uh, you are somewhat of a new audience and I don't want you to miss uh, Tracy Barnett. A wonderful interview. Uh, she uh, grew up in Columbia as I did and uh, went to Mizzou as I did. <laughs> so uh, we had some things in common and possibly you have those same things in common. So sit back and enjoy wherever you happen to be today. Listening to global news in social artistry welcome friends people for peace pods of consciousness planetary citizens wherever you happen to be today listening to global news in social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And I have a return guest for the show today, Tracy Barnett. Right now, Tracy is in Guadalajara, Mexico. Good morning, Tracy morning. What's the weather like in Guadalajara?
1: Well, it's very warm, starting to be almost hot, I would say we've been having a warmer than usual weather. Uh, Guadalajara is known as one of those places of Eterna Primavera, eternal spring. But uh, lately, it's been more like eternal summer.
0: Oh, and how long have you been in Guadalajara?
1: it's been well in the guadalajara and outlying areas about 10 years now
0: oh my Um, so that's that's home you're you're at home
1: yeah pretty much pretty much i mean i head back to missouri and specifically colombia usually a couple three times a year the pandemic kind of changed that but Mm -hmm. i'm getting ready to head back up that way soon
0: what role has Columbia played in your life
1: Oh, many roles. Actually, (laughs) I grew up in Missouri, more on the St. Louis side, south of St. Louis in the countryside, but I came to Columbia for college. I raised my daughter there. I worked at both newspapers there, the Columbia Tribune and the Columbia Missourian, of course, both first as a student and then as a professor slash editor. Launched a nonprofit there, a newspaper for immigrants. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know
0: about that. What, just give a little snippet about what that was about?
1: Oh, sure. That, uh, it was called Adelante. And it was a newspaper that was geared towards the um, immigrant communities of central Missouri. The university printed it. The reporters were journalism students who spoke or were studying Spanish, Spanish students who were interested in the immigrant community, people who were involved with the immigrant community in one way or another or wanted to get involved local members of the immigrant community it was a really interesting project and it went for i was i was the head of it for four years and it went on for two years after i left
0: wow so spanish was a language you picked up in junior high school or
1: well i started in was it junior high or high school I'm not sure which I yeah I started it in school and then I studied it more in college but it wasn't until in 92 93 I think I took a trip to Costa Rica and Panama and really just fell in love with the culture and decided to make myself bilingual and bicultural and by golly I did
0: (laughs) (laughs) was that your backpacking trip
1: No, that was before. The backpacking trip was kind of an, um, that was much more recent. That was 10 years ago.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, the backpacking trip was just all the way from Mexico to Argentina. Year-long adventure. Yeah, and then actually it's continued to the day because that's how the Esperanza Project began.
0: Okay, Esperanza Project, and we're going to talk a lot more about that, but why don't you just Briefly introduce it now, and then we'll come back to it a little later. That's hope, isn't it?
1: That's right. Esperanza means hope, and it is a journalistic project that is geared towards sort of like what you do with your radio program. Actually, it's exactly what you do: is looking for people who are making a difference in the world. Esperanza Project has a focus that's more greatly tuned in to the Americas and. Oftentimes, indigenous culture, people of color—not always, of course—but um, it's it's exploring what's happening in this hemisphere, above all, in terms of protecting and defending land and human and human beings, our relatives, all of our relatives, humans as well as non-human.
0: Oh, so do people contact you about writing a story or do you I guess it works both ways people also then uh, are found by you
1: it it works both ways exactly I mean I'm always scanning the horizon looking for people who are doing great work and people occasionally will reach out to me as well and say hey I, I saw your your website and I'd love to be included and so Sometimes I go to events and cover events, and I meet people there and then I invite them. So it happens in a variety of ways.
0: Well, we have one of those folks uh, on our show. Well, I guess it's been almost a year now Elizabeth Vega at Art House down in St. Ty. Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. right, what a wonderful guest and story that oh. uh, she shared. And I believe she's uh, experiencing some legal issues now down close to the border in el paso area
1: if it's the one i'm thinking about she was part of a group um the el paso six or uh i think there were six of them that got arrested by the um the border patrol for for um entering and protesting in the border patrol museum Mm -hmm. which uh an act of civil disobedience a peaceful act of civil disobedience but they are being charged for um, aggravated offenses and possible even felonies so yeah it's a serious situation Mm -hmm.
0: so you also are an activist i'm going to say though you haven't yet been arrested is that the case that's correct i have
1: (laughs) somehow managed to avoid that particular honor Well, and for some, it
0: is sort of a badge of honor for some, but
1: yeah. Yes, it is.
0: You mentioned that you had started the non-for-profit in Colombia back in the early 90s.
1: Actually, I'm sorry, that was in 2000, 2004. Oh, okay. It was called Adelante. Adelante is Spanish for kind of moving ahead, Uh going forward. Uh Adelante,
0: burro. Adelante. (laughs)
1: yeah <laughs> exactly
0: I, I learned that one in Hickman spanish class
1: <laughs> uh-huh. okay yes well it was a, it was really in some ways it was the most beautiful one of the most beautiful certainly journalistic projects i've ever been involved in and it was associated with the university of missouri there at the journalism school we published a newspaper that was aimed at it was a bilingual newspaper oh. english on the front and it had a mirror image on the back of the same stories in Spanish for the most Mm -hmm. part well English and Spanish and um, it was aimed at the immigrant community but also people in the region the mid-Missouri region who were interested in the culture who perhaps wanted to support who wanted to learn more who were studying their Spanish and the project was organized and run by me and a group of community members, Spanish-speaking community members for the most part. Um, People like Eduardo Crespi from the Central Latino and a woman named Christina Lindal, um, a Peruvian woman. There was uh, just uh, Nancy Malugani. She's a high school Spanish teacher. There were a lot of local community people who got involved in this, but mainly it was the students. And we have at the journalism school and still do students that come from all over the world, and lots of them from all over Latin America. And uh, they, they, this gave them a chance to really shine, you know, to practice their craft in a way that they were able to do so in their language. And um, we also had, you know, US Americans who were um, really great students studying Spanish and wanting to practice Spanish language journalism. And so, Adelante was the outgrowth of that. And um, we were able to do some really great award winning work covering the immigrant community, culture, some investigative work.
0: Well, Tracy uh, Barnett you at least in my uh, research wrote your first book when you were 13 years old is that you
1: yeah. well it was a magazine a magazine I, I, yes i started a children's magazine it was called little miss muffet and it was its target audience was my well it was my younger sisters and brothers and cousins and there were lots of them i'm the first of nine so <laughs> I had a built-in audience there.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, we we did little um stories and puzzles and games and yeah, there was a little mimeograph machine that my grandpa had scored in some kind of a sale or something. And uh mm-hmm. yeah, I learned how to use it.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. So you actually had the printed pages that you were able to distribute and uh and build a little community of friends. That's right. That's wonderful. I have a friend, uh, Doug Ely, over in Lupus, Missouri, who thinks that you probably were a primary person in getting Columbia's uh, wastewater wetlands to be a success story. What do you recall about those days in the what was it the late eighties, uh, early nineties
2: mm-hmm. in
0: Columbia, and the controversy over uh, just dumping waste water into the Perchy Creek? And
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, are those good memories that you have for that time,
1: Doug Ely? Yes, I have some great memories of those times, and it all starts with Doug Ely. I had heard about well, we had all heard about the, the fish kill on the Perchy Creek, where um, Columbia's wastewater had um, had gotten into the creek. And Ray Beck, who was our city manager at the time, had come up with the solution of um, building a pipeline to the Missouri River that would... Resolve the problem with the old time-honored phrase, the solution to pollution is dilution. And um, surprisingly enough, the EPA thought it was a fine idea and was prepared to fund it at the tune of multi-millions of dollars. But that idea was not acceptable to a number of people in Colombia, as you can imagine, and not just Colombia, but also downstream, where this... uh, semi-treated sewage would be coming out of the pipeline and um chief among those people was Doug Ely the mayor of the downstream town of Lupus and he decided to come and speak to the city council about that and that's when I heard about it I decided to go to the city council meeting I was the environmental reporter there at the tribune and um ended up waiting until midnight before they let Doug Ely speak and um thought that was a little bit shabby, given the fact that he was the mayor of a ne- nearby town. But anyway, um, the vision that he presented at that time was that uh, this was an opportunity to really show the world what could be done with wastewater treatment. And uh, he had looked at the alternative of using um, wetlands to treat sewage that had been done in, in various places and... The wetlands served a double purpose. I mean, not only did it clean the water, but it served as a a wildlife reserve. So that, that idea really caught my imagination. And I started uh, following leads and researching alternative wetlands projects and interviewing experts to see if that's something that would work in Colombia. And actually, thanks to Hank Ottinger, uh, who was the leader of the Sierra Club at the time, found out that actually the city was not authorized to move forward with a pipeline until they had explored all of the, all of the alternatives. And the, way, the wetlands alternative turned out to be of lower cost and higher efficacy. So this ended up being put on the ballot and uh, it ended up getting quite a bit of attention. Thanks also to a local songwriter jerome wheeler who who penned the song columbia's got a sewer to the ocean (laughs) that was
2: quite (laughs) a
1: hit on the local radio stations Uh and uh they started an organization called crap the coalition resolved against the pipeline wow And my part of all of that was really just um, just chronicling it and really digging into the places where the city was digging in its heels and saying, no, this can't be done. And um, with the help of of this committee of people and and my amazing editor, John Schneller, we were able to show that, in fact, it was possible. And not only was it possible, it was a. a really inspiring alternative
0: right and yeah. i believe i believe 95 percent of the voters uh, approved this uh tax increase to make that a reality
1: yes yes and now we have eagle bluffs which yes. is really world-class wildlife refuge and bird refuge and uh also we are releasing much cleaner water into the Missouri River. Well my
0: wife and I made our first uh, venture down to the wetlands and eagle bluffs with a a birding group that we've recently joined out of Columbia Jefferson City and I was I had heard about this for so long from Doug and others but uh, it just kind of blew me away the the Expanse and the amount of water available for these uh, birds to come in, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. That I encourage anyone to get out and and uh, visit the wetlands. And now we know some of the backstory as to how that came about.
1: Yes, yes, and as I understand it too, we have visitors from all over the world who come to learn about wetlands, sewage treatment from. The city of columbia
0: all right great great what a what a wonderful positive good happy ending story <laughs> it doesn't always happen that way
1: no no especially with environmental news so that takes a little bit of doing
0: you uh speaking of that uh, and even the missouri river let's just travel upriver to uh what, the world came to know as Standing Rock. Uh, Uh I think you've had some connection with Standing Rock and uh, some of the people there. Uh, I think, didn't you interview uh, or at least write a story about LaDonna Allard? Um, I
1: did. I did, actually. Um, I, I did not have the good fortune of meeting LaDonna when I went to Standing Rock. I did go to Standing Rock. I, I wrote, I covered that for a number of publications, including the Esperanza Project, and I met a good number of fascinating people when I was there, and it came away from it greatly inspired, but it wasn't until, I guess about three years later, when uh, I I connected with Cheryl Angel, who was Um, one of the leaders at that time, and uh, did a series of stories with her on the third anniversary of the Standing Rock encampment. And she organized a follow-up gathering called Sovereign Sisters. It was an Indigenous-led gathering, Indigenous women-led gathering, Mm -hmm. and looking at um, sort of exploring sovereignty and what it means to be sovereign, really, in this world and in these times and um that's where I met LaDonna and I was able to interview her and really she was um she was just a force she was a light in the world she really was and Mm. as uh many people already many of your listeners probably already know we lost her earlier this year to brain cancer Mm -hmm. and she fought a valiant fight and she left with us a legacy that Will long, long, long outlive her, and uh, yeah. it's been a real blessing.
0: Yes, when you think about the indigenous issues that are becoming more and more obvious to people, they, they had been sort of under wraps uh, in in somewhat of a public way for a long time, but. You know the sheets are being pulled off, and and we're seeing uh, how people are treated and how treaties have been broken, and and so on. Where are you uh, today in your viewing of the of the work uh, for uh-huh. indigenous rights and and environmental justice and the whole thing?
1: I've been working with my colleague. Hernán Vilches and an Argentine filmmaker on a series called Cosmology and Pandemic, what we can learn from the indigenous response to the coronavirus. And what we suspected and what we have continued to find is that indigenous people have so much to teach us in their worldview and their ways of responding to crisis and their ways of preventing crisis. It has just been a real inspiration. And I think one of the the key things that we hear from them over and over again is the fact that the way of life that they predominantly, that indigenous people of the Americas practiced before the Europeans arrived was not focused as our cultures are focused on accumulation, prestige. It was focused on balance, harmony and making the system work for everybody and that's something that has really gotten lost in the shuffle and you know i do a lot of coverage or the esperanza project and our team of reporters and there's a lot of coverage of indigenous rights indigenous land defense standing rock you mentioned and now the latest struggle, which I think is going to be the new Standing Rock is um, the fight to stop line three, which is bringing the tar sands oil from from Canada, which is one of the most destructive operations on the planet, and practically guarantees that climate change will not be uh, a resolvable issue. But yes, I think, you know, just to underscore the fact that um, Indigenous people since time immemorial have been working to, to um, maintain and now restore that balance with the Mother Earth, with the planet that allows us to live as humans, as a species, in an ongoing and um, peaceful and beautiful way.
0: It's a, a work that doesn't have solutions yet. It is so complex, uh, but the goal is is pretty clear that uh that, that we're just the latest to arrive on this uh, beautiful planet and uh it seems as though we have a, a more destructive effect than uh, any other critter that's come along in our population growth and our consumption of things and as you mentioned uh Uh, So many of us are into accumulating things. My guest today is Tracy Barnett, a a graduate of uh, Mizzou J School, uh, also a former professor there who now lives in Guadalajara, Mexico, is a activist, journalist and founding editor of the Esperanza Project, also an author of uh, several books. Last week, my guest was Jeff Gibbs, the writer and director of Planet of the Humans that came out last year that I still encourage everyone to watch for free on on YouTube. It seems like it's more than sustainability. That word has gotten used a lot, Mm -hmm. but... uh, you use the word harmony. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what are the best words to, to use, but the, the planet certainly cannot endure what we're doing. And uh, so we have some significant changes to make.
1: I, I'm really inspired by Lila June Johnston. She is a Diné scholar, activist, artist, musical recording artist we're currently working on our phd on indigenous studies with an emphasis on food security and she talks about she said to me in an interview that i did with her not too long ago you know sustainability is a pretty low bar when you figure that the system that we are sustaining is is completely unworkable mm-hmm. more uh, we'd rather look at restoration at resilience One of the things that Lila June is quick to point out though, is that even with the current emphasis on regenerative agriculture, it's important and it's great to be doing that, but we also need to acknowledge that that is what was being done on this continent, throughout the continent, just as a matter of a way of life by the indigenous people before the Europeans arrived. Um, these forests that looked as though they were wilderness were actually carefully cultivated. There's lots of evidence to show that, for example, the buffalo, instead of the Plains Indians following the buffalo, the buffalo followed the native people and the burns that they did in order to replenish the soils and make the grasses grow more strongly. They had systems throughout the continent that were basically eradicated, by the European settlers who didn't understand how things worked and now there's a really beautiful movement that is is coming back into resurgence in which indigenous people and scholars and uh, farmers are exploring and restoring some of those ways of managing the land Hmm. so it's really important when we talk about regenerative agriculture and regenerative systems to to take into account that this is not something new this is something that has been going on for a long, long time. We just, it was interrupted for Mm -hmm. about a 500 year interruption by European settlers.
0: Right, that's an excellent point. And uh, I think there is some honoring, uh, at least in the news of uh, certain consultants from the indigenous community uh, in this whole fire business out in the West.
1: That is a really important perspective in this. And um, the other thing that Lila June that really sticks with me about what Lila June has said is that humans were meant to be a keystone species. We are neither more important nor um, unique in the system in the sense that we are part of the whole network of life. But we do have skills that if they're used properly can help everything else to to run a little bit more mm-hmm. smoothly we are supposed to be the caretakers so i think if we can if we can go back to seeing ourselves as as a critical part of this extremely intricate and interconnected system mm-hmm. and treat it with respect and with deep observation and going back to the elders who who have maintained the systems on the land that they live on for for so many generations of time um, I think we can there is still possibly a chance that we can you know move forward in a way that will preserve these lands for our
0: you
1: know a way of life that will sustain our children and our grandchildren and our Great children, great
0: grandchildren. Time and I think of prairie dogs, and possibly wolves as being keystone characters in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, at least when watching nature on TV, <laughs> mm-hmm. those two uh, come up frequently. If you try to eradicate the uh, the prairie dog, then there's so many negative changes that occur that and the same when they took the the wolves out of uh, what was it Yellowstone or mm-hmm. Yosemite one of those two and and the devastation that that came to that area right. that only was healed by bringing them back and mm-hmm. uh, re- restoring the system that uh, was intended to be there it seems. Yes, that's interesting. I had not heard of of humans as a keystone species, but I'm going to certainly think more about that. And uh, we've got a lot of repair and healing uh, to do to uh, get back in alignment with uh, the rest of the world. Yes. So, Tracy, didn't you write a book about the buffalo soldiers back when you were a teacher at J School?
1: Yes, I did. Indeed. That was one of three books that I wrote for a company that was doing educational books for young people. And the Buffalo Soldiers, that was one of the sadder chapters of American history, when freed slaves were able to attain a certain degree of support and dignity by joining the campaign to wipe out another group of people of color, which were the Native Americans. And oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. In classic divide and conquer form, the U.S. government put the Buffalo Soldiers, called so because the the Native people saw them and saw their curly hair and thought it was like like the Buffaloes, they were put on the front lines in these wars and they fought valiantly and they died in large numbers and actually fought on the wrong side as some some people recognized and ended up defecting and joining the native tribes and, and fighting on the other side but uh in any event yes it was um, quite a compelling chapter in american history
0: wow well a- another little lost piece to many of us that didn't hear about it when we were coming up through our grade school and junior high and so on my guest today is Tracy Barnett, a, a graduate of uh, Mizzou J School, uh, also a former professor there, who now lives in Guadalajara, Mexico, is a activist, journalist, and founding editor of the Esperanza Project, uh, also an author of uh, several books. And your other two books, were they equally... Uh, <laughs> Depressing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. You could think of it as depressing or you could think of it as inspiring. I always like seeing the way the human spirit rises above, even in the worst circumstances. But no, the other two were, were really more, I guess you could say, uplifting. There was a book about Oman, which is a very, it was part of a series on Arab countries. And then the other one that was my, really my favorite was about the South Americans and um, it was on a series of different immigrants to oh. the u.s and canada and it looked at leading south american the whole history of south american immigration to the u.s and canada and um you know prominent south americans who live mm-hmm. in the north
0: so your writing is seemingly always about uh, what so many people would call the other and uh, Getting into know more personally what the other is, and that the other really just us with uh, a little different culture, maybe a little different skin color.
1: Yeah, sort of a mirror, sort of the other side of the mirror. You know, mm-hmm. when when you flip it around and you look at it from a different perspective, and you see that yes, even though it's the opposite in some ways in other ways, it's, we see another aspect of our, ourselves, our true selves.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I never have liked the phrase, uh, the opposite sex when talking about male and female, because uh, we, we're, we're so much more alike uh, than we are different, and, uh, very complementary in, in so, so many ways, so. You
1: know. It reminds me of the, there's, um, the Mayan phrase, in la kesh a la kin, I am you and you are me. And uh-huh. you know, even though we may look entirely different, even though we have some parts that are different, even though our culture is entirely different, we are a reflection of each other as a whole, as a human species. And it's it's such a beautiful thing if we can look at that and and, and treat it with the reverence and the respect that something so sacred as life really deserves
0: oh indeed it it seems like you had an advanced (laughs) growth i don't i can't use necessarily the word spiritually but it seems like you gained early on this uh way of seeing things from a different perspective Mm -hmm. and it's such a valuable uh, skill and an asset who, where did that come from for you?
1: Well, that's a very good question. And I've often wondered that myself. Why am I so strange and weird and different?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Major. <Me too. laughs>
1: no, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, I have to thank my parents in some way. My parents are conservative Christians, salt of the earth, working class Missourians on the one hand, but on the other hand, they, and especially my mother, always had a really sort of question authority approach to life and to the world. And she was a very, she is a very critical thinker. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't always find ourselves, we often don't find ourselves on the same side politically, but she questioned the healthcare system, the agricultural system, the educational system, every system that she ran into. Mm. And for that reason, my younger sisters and brothers were homeschooled, we moved out to the country, we tried doing a a homesteading sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was really different from the other kids at school. I I never really fit in. And so that, um, we didn't get to watch TV, um, Mm -hmm. only very rarely. And so, so yeah, not fitting in, it it can be painful, but it has the advantage of teaching you to really be, to develop your own sense of character and self-worth based on a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And, um, it also gives you a certain amount of compassion, I think, for the other being an other. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, being a white, a working class American girl growing up in the country and trying to fit into a school system that is suburban and consumerist and aspirational in the ways that our industrial culture is Mm -hmm. one learns to find other deeper, Sources of self-worth, I think. For me, that was in the woods in back of our house where mm. I would follow my dog down the creeks and I would climb the trees and I would connect with the birds and, and, and the animals. And yeah, that, that sense of nature being not just a refuge, but an integral part of me, I think, was born during that time. And, and that's how I, I healed the wounds from a, you know, difficult childhood growing up in an abusive society that didn't welcome people who were different like me.
0: Right. But you're, you're founding of this, uh, this Esperanza project, or you're called, what, the founding editor of this? Mm-hmm. You can't really call it a magazine do you call it a magazine i
1: actually do call it a magazine okay an online magazine it's not it's it's not printed but um it's very much it strives to be a magazine with Mm -hmm. uh, multiple points of entry and multiple themes and many really wonderful contributors from all over the americas and uh yeah we've been very blessed and privileged to have Contributors such as I put at the top of the list, Holly Nauman, who is uh, our Indian country correspondent. She's a longtime writer for and environmental editor for Native Sun News Today. And um, prior to her years um, covering Indian country and actually sandwiched in between because she's a native of there, she was a Mexican correspondent. Mm. So she and I are sort of kindred spirits in that way of, of both the Latin America and the indigenous focus. But she has been doing some brilliant coverage for us. And she and her proteges, she's recruited several... Really excellent um, interns and mentees Mm -hmm. and um, people like Sarah Towell, who has been doing some brilliant coverage. I ran into her when I was on the border covering when Trump locked all of the the asylum seekers out of the United States with his remain in Mexico policy and thousands, tens of thousands of people and families and children were stuck on the border Mm -hmm. in in high-crime cartel zones, some of the most dangerous places on the planet are just south of the U.S. border. Uh-huh. And these families were stuck camping there mm. for over a year. And mm. so I spent some time there with them, seeing how they were coping with all this and the, you know, rather inspiring response from people who came to work side-by-side side with them and support them. Mm-hmm. That's when I ran into Sarah Towel. Who is uh, a wonderful author who is working on a book right now about the subject of? It's called the First Solution, and it's about uh, the people who are stepping forward, and we're stepping forward to, to address that situation.
0: My guest today is Tracy Barnett, a, a graduate of a Mizzou J School, uh, also a former professor there, who now lives in Guadalajara, Mexico, is a activist, journalist, and founding editor of the Esperanza Project, also an author of uh, several books. What is the uh, (laughs) prognosis? Uh, What does it look like for the future?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And, you know, I mean, I think the fact that Biden was elected was a godsend in the sense that at least now we can have a rational human being with some level of, of human compassion to work with. Mm-hmm. However, the system remains extremely broken. And as we are seeing uh, an increase in the, 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 the seeds that we sowed in Central America, with the civil wars that we sponsored, we propped up governments that that favored international commerce and international businesses over here.
0: Yes, what what's that fruit company?
1: United Fruit Company, for example. <laughs> yeah. that you know, uh, really valued local human life very little, mm. and so the seeds that were planted during those times and since the very beginning are are bearing a lot of very very. Sad and evil fruit. Mm -hmm. And now with the increase of climate change, it's not something for the future, it is happening. People are really struggling to raise crops to have enough water. And we're going to be seeing more and more of this, the climate refugees that are showing up on our southern borders, some of the many of the people that I talked to, were having trouble with their, with their crops. Mm-hmm. And others who were living in the cities, who had gone to the cities because they weren't able any longer to live on subsistence agriculture, um, were being preyed upon by the gangs, mm-hmm. who were also the fruit of U.S. foreign policy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think, um, I mean, we are seeing a huge increase in unaccompanied minors coming to the the border. And that is, that is because it's at crisis levels again. Mm-hmm something that Biden is going to have to deal with. And um, hopefully there can be a way to deal with it with with humanity and with compassion, but it is not a problem that's going to be going away soon.
0: Do you have in your Esperanza project writers that make that uh, connection of the history where, as you say, the seeds were sown and now uh, we're seeing the fruits of that, that can tie those things together
1: to answer your question yes sarah Towell does a great job of d- digging into the past and and setting the table and you know i've done a few pieces myself that really look at okay um, how we got here and yes it's i should i should clarify that there are a couple of other esperanza projects out there you can tell ours because it's got a monarch butterfly
0: oh okay
1: um, and it's www.esperanzaproject.org or www.esperanzaproject.com okay and on the spanish side el proyecto esperanza.org or.com we've got both of them okay so yeah and you can also click on a link on the english page to get to the spanish page and vice versa
0: right i see that i'm looking at the page now and i see esperanza project in espanol how yeah. wonderful the first one here is Winona LaDuke that mm. comes up
1: yes Winona is Winona wrote that story and Tally did a great job of editing it of helping me source the photos and Winona which many people who many people will remember as Ralph Nader's running mate and I can't remember the year but she actually uh, was among the first women vice presidential candidates She is quite an inspiring figure, really, and um, has always been has always been promoting regenerative agriculture, and now she's doing so through the route of hemp farming, which is such a practical way of restoring the soil, very rapid way of growing a crop that can be used in so many ways. So for construction, for medicine, for so many things. Winona Leduc, that's our first piece by her and hopefully it won't be the last one, but she is quite an inspiration.
0: Well, a- according to Jeff Gibbs last week, uh, we need to have a discussion about hemp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now uh, realizing that there are there's more than one environmental side to the hemp uh, movement, so I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm just hearing both and and I hope The discussion continues uh, to expand to sort of, so to speak, get to the bottom of uh, of hemp and it's uh, we know it's it's many uses, but we also need to know its effect on soil and, and particularly if it's a commercial hemp farming. Because if there's little plots of hemp that's one thing, but if there's the big machines go in and start doing it that's a whole other story. So I'm interested to see, I haven't read her, her native hemp farming opportunity to lead new green revolution. But that's, mm-hmm. uh looks like a, a story I need to get into my mind.
1: Yes, I think you'd enjoy it.
0: Great. So as we look through, uh, I'm looking here on the homepage for the Esperanza project. And is uh, Sarah Tal, it, have you mentioned her?
1: Yes, uh-huh. that, she's the one who's been doing the immigration coverage.
0: Okay, I just saw the spelling of her name, S-A-R-A-H-T-O-W-L-E, and, and helps me now identify who you were talking about. I wasn't positive at, at the first, so good. Uh, seven immigration myths we must unlearn to reclaim our humanity, which, oh, what a great moment here of reading that title. One of the continuing questions on local news and social artistry is how do we inspire people to change their minds? (laughs) We have uh, such different perspectives on issues. Do you have some suggestions?
1: Well, it's interesting because, you know, it seems like giving them the right information would be enough, right? I always thought as a young person, you give people the right information, you help them understand where things are wrong and they will change, but that's not necessarily the case.
0: It is not.
1: No. And I think one of the things that definitely does not work is shaming people, Mm -hmm. is frightening people. So for me, one of the most important things has been to show people through example, the way others are really turning things around in their own lives, using their own life force to to be an example, to make change. And by showing the successes, I think, which is not 100% of our stories, but we do tend to try to move in that direction, to show people that there is hope. Mm-hmm. that there there are alternatives, that this is something that has been worked on for for years and years and years. This is something that has been since time immemorial, that there has been a narrative that has respected life, respected humanity and respected nature and the interconnection between all beings. And mm-hmm. that that is the narrative that we need to be gravitating towards.
0: I agree. If my neighbor doesn't have that perspective because they have different information that they go by, is it by sitting and listening to my neighbor, finding out what information they have and where they got it and trying to understand their perspective? I'm hearing that that's one of the best ways to bring about change is to learn to understand uh, the other. So uh, how do we sit and listen and ask questions that are not threatening and learn to understand why someone believes in QAnon? I mean, it's it's really a, a difficult situation we find ourselves in when there's so much division. How do we come together?
1: I think you've really put your finger on it and it's extremely difficult. And I'm faced with some of that in my own family. And as I prepare to head north, you know,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I I think the key is exactly what you said, to be able to put one's own views aside and to remember our common humanity and to do some very good listening and Mm -hmm. try not to get triggered by things that feel to us to be offensive you know, violent or unkind to try to go to a deeper place and understanding Mm -hmm. that most of these people who hold these views are good people. Mm -hmm. And it's just, as you said, the information that they are getting is is different from the information that we're getting. Mm -hmm. And it behooves us to question our own sources as well.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Very good point.
1: Things are really, really not what they
0: seem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and we have, you and I have been on this planet for a, a speck of a speck of an instant of time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so certainly we can't get uh, too uh, high and mighty with whatever we think is right. I mean, there's almost 8 billion of us now.
1: And I have to say that the more you learn, the more you know that you don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Esperanza means hope. And you are, uh, you're writing a book.
1: Looking for Esperanza. One Looking. woman mm-hmm. search for hope in the other America.
0: All right. How far along are you? You have oh a draft goodness.
1: yet? Oh, my goodness. Yes. The, the problem is that I have too much of a draft. <laughs> <laughs> it's about twice as long as a book should be sure and i have spent a good amount of time looking for a publisher cutting it down to size it is extremely it will be news to no one that it is extremely difficult to break into the world of publishing particularly mm-hmm. when um tends to as i do overburden oneself with other kinds of tasks which doesn't leave much time for searching for publishers right. so Probably when I finish the cosmology and pandemic series, which right now has me really tied up, I'm going to take another look at maybe send out one more round of queries. And if I don't have any response, I may end up self publishing it.
0: Uh huh. And so a query would be looking for an agent. Yeah. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Tracy Barnett, this has been a great revisiting you're such a powerful person in the work that you do and inspiring. It gives me hope to know that there are folks like you willing to give their lives for uh, the work. And I, I personally appreciate it. And I think many of our listeners uh, appreciate your work and you'll be back in Columbia very soon. Oh well,
1: indeed, very soon. I, I'm about to come and and visit my beautiful daughter Tara Barnett, who's uh-huh. a wonderful community leader and acupuncturist, and uh, my two granddaughters. Wow!
2: And
1: to the rest of my wonderful and numerous family: Kenny <laughs> Blum, who's a, a shamanic astrologer; uh, Tasha Weska, who's a um, massage therapist. Uh-huh. Just, uh huh. Just. They're in Colombia
0: as well. Well, you can come back and get all kinds of treatment too, huh? That's cool. Well, safe travels. Happy uh, editing of your book and uh, all the best with the Esperanza project and, and the great work that goes on there.
1: It's been great, Dick. I really enjoyed visiting
0: with you. And thank you, Tracy Barnett. It's really been a pleasure. And before I sign off today, folks, I wanted to take uh, a few minutes to thank you for listening to local news and social artistry uh, as many times as you have over the years. We're well into the third year, uh, which uh, I don't know if you realize it, but uh, these volunteer programmers like myself, we got our job here, sometimes very uh, serendipitously. And uh, I just thought I'd mention that it was back in uh, 2017 in the fall when I was, uh, so to speak, asking the universe what I was going to do next after uh, retiring from teaching and writing a book. And and within two weeks, I had been introduced uh, to a fellow that had a program here on KOPN. And within another week, he asked if I wanted to take over his program, and voila, (laughs) the universe had answered. And it's been such a pleasure. We have pretty much a new guest every week, uh, someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out, which is the way I define social artistry. And the continued support of each of you listeners is really what makes KOPN uh, the community radio station that it is. Thank you all for your support. And also keep in mind that this show is one of those that uh, has a podcast recorded uh, that you can access uh, anytime after the show. I post the link to that both uh, on the KOPN station programs site and also on my Facebook page, uh, Glocal News in Social Artistry, where you can look back through all of the guests in the last three years. And uh, hopefully if I've updated it properly, find a link to their particular program. So appreciate your continued support and uh, look forward to having uh, possibly you on the show. Uh, I'm sure you're building a more humane world yourself. As I sign off, each time, remember, friends, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.